is Richard Wilson speaking. Um, there's some people who know me as Victor Meldrew, but as far as I'm concerned, Victor Meldrew's dead. Uh, thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. Good day to you lovely listeners. Have I got a treat in store for you? When Richard Wilson crossed paths with Father Ted Crilly in the Father Ted universe of 1998, it became one of comedy's greatest moments for sitcom fans everywhere. I had it down to a chat with the mastermind of some hilarious and groundbreaking comedies. Not only has this man co-written Father Ted, but also an array of spectacular gems in Black Books, IT Crowd, Motherland, Count Arthur Strong, Big Train, The Walshes, and many, many more. I'm a huge fan of this chap's work, and he was so pleasant and delightful to speak with. I absolutely cherished every moment. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Glinna, and thank you for downloading. Enjoy. Glinna, welcome to One Point the Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for the invite. Oh, it's a pleasure. Lovely to be here. Any excuse to have someone linked in some way to One Foot in the Grave. I'm, I'm sure we'll speak about that obvious link later on, but yes. I just couldn't resist asking you on, you know, comedy writing royalty as you are. Um, God bless you. It's, it's, it's hard to resist. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose we're going to, I'm going to grill you for all the great work you've done. Not, not grill you in a bad way, but I'll be asking some questions around that. But I suppose question you might have been asked a fair few times how do you how did you get into writing was it is that something you recognized that you had a talent for at school age or did it happen later down the line in teenage years or uh later down the line I kind of um started as a music journalist and film critic uh for a magazine in Ireland called Hot Press and then when I went over to the UK I, I wrote for a magazine called Select which was uh which was a big magazine around the kind of Britpop boom and uh yeah, I just I just always gravitated towards being funny when I was writing because it's a good way of getting people keeping people's attention. So you know, we'd also done these kind of series of gigs in Ireland with me and, and Arthur Matthews and a guy called Paul Woodfull, and we all got together and and did this kind of um, parody of U two called the Joshua Trio, which I was uh, I was attached to as a kind of hanger on. Sure, we used to write sketches for that. And they were so funny sometimes that I just thought, you know, this is this is as good as anything on, on TV. Why, why, why are we not on TV? So I, I suggested Arthur come over and uh, to my absolute astonishment, he did. And we ended up living together for four years writing comedy. So. Um, so, yeah, that's how it happened. Did you both contribute for Fast Show and Harry Enfield? Did I read? Yes, we did. We've written, we've written for Harry and for and for Paul and Charlie. Uh, we did uh, the the kind of Ralph and Ted. That was our creation. The two. I don't know why Ted keeps coming up as an Irish name for us, <laughs> yeah. but actually, Ralph and Ted weren't supposed to be Irish. Ted was Ted wasn't supposed to be Irish, but right. uh, when we did it, um, Paul liked my accent so much that he wanted to do an Irish character. He thought it was funnier in Irish. <laughs> You know, sometimes sometimes I say things and I think people are laughing. Yeah. I think people are laughing because I'm witty, but it's actually because I've got an Irish accent and apparently everyone just finds them automatically hilarious, you know. So uh, so you never know whether to be flattered or not. But um, yeah, I did that for the fast show. We also did a little bit of work for Alexi Sale, Smith and Jones. Um, we went on to Alexi Sale, which is how we first had a kind of tangential relationship to... But David was a um, was a writer for for Lexi Sale, so we were kind of we were kind of aware of him from that, um, and yeah, then we kind of uh, just kind of drifted around writing for different comedy shows and, until Father Ted came along. So that idea for Father Ted did that? Did you say that started off as like a, a sketch and then turned into or evolved into a sitcom? Uh, 
Sort of, in the sense that what we originally pitched was um, a show called Irish Lives, which was a series of six documentaries, one which would follow one person a week, a little bit by like, I don't know if you remember Peter Kay's series of one-off documentaries, um, which had some very funny moments. But uh, but our thing, we wrote it because we, we, you know, at that time, Spinal Tap was still very Mm. um, influential. And the kind of documentary style was becoming very fashionable, you know? Yeah. We all wanted to do it. We all thought oh, the way Spinal Tap would do it. And Spinal Tap has a, uh, has a what's, what would you call it? Um, a misleadingly, it looks misleadingly easy to do what yeah. Spinal Tap did, you know? So, so we, we thought, well, they won't give us the money to make, quote unquote, a proper show. So we will um, we'll make a documentary thinking that it would be cheaper and all this sort of thing. And we wrote it up as a documentary, an episode about Father Ted going back to visit all the priests he met when he was studying for the seminary and and having disastrous meetings with them all, you know, in in scenes that would later go on to become Father Ted scenes. Like, you know, there's one bit where he visits an old priest and the priest is dead and he doesn't realise it, you know, which is almost beat beat for beat the same as... A Faulty Towers uh, episode. Yes, uh, Kipper and the Corpse. Kipper and the Corpse, which I didn't even realise, but is so close <laughs> to it. It's it's very embarrassing. I, I was going to ask, actually, sorry to interrupt, when you, as a comedy writer, when you develop an idea, if you think of an idea, do you spend some time researching if it's already been created? I know in that instance, you, you, know, you didn't realise there were similarities, but it, that's obviously yeah, we, a challenge for anyone, I suppose. We've often done it by mistake. We did it with the first episode of our sitcom for Alexi Sale, uh, Paris. Um, which had him accidentally creating a modern art masterpiece. I mean, it was really basically rule joke joke A in the book the book of jokes about modern art, where he kind of accidentally creates a modern art masterpiece, and that's again is exactly the plot of of Hancock's uh, artist movie, which I think is called just called The Artist. Um, and everyone was accusing us of stealing that, and we weren't. We just forgot to check we weren't really big Hancock fans so we just didn't really know we were doing it sometimes things would happen like that I'd often I was obsessed with being original so I would like occasionally sit bolt upright in bed thinking of something Dougal said and thinking has Homer said that I'm sure Homer (laughs) said that at some point you know so we had all those kinds of moments and um, and yeah, you know, you just have to navigate them and be careful. And like, for instance, I, I, li- I, I set out once to recreate beat by beat a, a Laurel and Hardy routine that event ended up in uh, the IT crowd uh, using the exact same angle and the yeah. exact same beats. And it, it, it just, it was joyful to me because even though it wasn't original, seeing Chris and Richard hit all those moments the same way Stan and Ollie did. That was a, I, there's, that there's was, nothing it, wrong that, with the homage is there to a great sitcom. Yeah. And I kind of wanted just to, to announce on the, I want, I want, I kind of wanted to announce their comic arrival, which I realize yeah. I'm doing by copying another comedy acts routine. It's not something I would do all the time, but in this particular case, I don't know. I felt our love for Stan and Ollie was so apparent that no one would mind. Can I ask you a question? What do you think of Mrs. Brown's boys? You can um, be honest. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's a it's, oh god, you know, if I say anything, it'll become news. I t- I, I, I'm going to say it. I'll say it. it. Is a very poor man's father Ted. To well, that, you know, to, to put Father Ireland. Ted and, and Mrs. Brown's boys in the same sentence is a disservice. <laughs> Sorry, my dog. I'm just going to let worry. him out. He's going to keep barking. Okay. 
<clears throat> Sorry. Don't worry. Sorry about that. <clears throat> um, do you know what? It there are worse sitcoms. I, I just think he does get a lot of stick on social media, and it's probably if if you've written that comedy, it's probably quite hurtful actually. But it should never be compared to Father Ted. Of course, I'm going to blow some. I don't think there's any backside, aren't I? Saying that, but I don't think there's any reason for it to be. The only reason it's ever compared is because they're both Irish. They're both That's very different style of comedy. One is uh, is, and I mean this. Don't mean this as an insult at all. But one is very much pantomime. You know, yeah. Um, similar attitude towards you know drag and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's all fine. You know, like it's it's a big comedy world, but. Uh, but yeah, I didn't think it had much to do with our thing. No, you know? I suppose technically Vicar of Dibley in a in a tiny way. <laughs> Vicar of Dibley, yeah, maybe uh, a similar a similar situation, I guess. Yeah. Um, but again, very different type of show, you know. You've co-written a fair few sitcoms. Um, is there a, a pact between co-writers of any comedy where they'll they'll never reveal who wrote certain gags or create certain characters? Because I'm obsessed with that. If I'm watching. Father said, "The Office. I want to know. I wonder which of the writers wrote that line." We we sometimes don't remember ourselves, you know. And you know that's kind of how it should be. Eventually, when you've when you've worked with worked on a on a on a thing with someone, um, you kind of layer on aspects of the idea, making it better and better. You know, sometimes it'll be as something as simple as uh, 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 something might be introduced at the start of a scene, and you realize, oh no, if we put this at the end, it'll be ten times funnier. So you can get a joke that does one thing in one place and suddenly at the end, it, it does this yeah. incredible other thing. And so yeah. the question is, who thought of putting it at the end? <laughs> That's true, and, yeah. And, and eventually those questions become so muddled in the, you know, in, in the creation of it that hopefully what the audience just sees is a very smooth thing that looks like it was meant to happen, you know? But, yes. but, but it was all these decisions and all these things. And, you know, sometimes we left out great stuff. One thing we realized after, I think, the first series was that when you were throwing out excellent material, it meant you were, you were in the, on the right track. Yes. Because if you're throwing out excellent material, it means that the material that remains must be pretty bloody good, you mm. know? Yeah. But there's been a lot of things that... You know, I wish I'd, I wish we'd use, but Arthur's, Arthur's great at reusing things. You know, he puts them in other shows. He finds a way to put them in other shows. When writing, you know, Black Books, is it Series 1 you had involvement with for writing? Yes, Series yeah. 1, and, yeah. And obviously IT Crowd was your baby. Did you yes. have to fend off any sort of influence of Father Ted when creating these sitcoms? Did you embrace any sort of the similarities in character development and plotting the storylines or no, had, in had fact, your project? The- in both sitcoms, I wanted to get away from the surrealism, and I wanted it to be more like um, more like Seinfeld because I was I was obsessed with Seinfeld for a yeah. long time there, but I couldn't do it because my imagination lends itself to surreal stuff too easily, and it's it's if I if I can't figure out how to get an audience to laugh, something mm. surreal will will help every time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so unfortunately, it's my default mode, and I'm still. It's a good, you know, I now I did now don't think of it in those terms. Now I just think of, of it as, as how do I write the funniest thing I can write uh, using my instincts the way they seem to want to be used yeah, and uh, come out of it with something that other people want to see, you know? So, so I'm not so, I'm not so, I still, I do think there is a form of surrealism that's almost like the gold standard, which is um, uh, in a plot line, a series of realistic events accumulate to create something surreal. Mm. When that happens perfectly, 
you don't see they, you, they don't give the audience a way out. The yeah. audience doesn't go, oh, I don't really buy how we got here. The audience is with you all the way. So finally, when you get to the end, you have this moment like I, I, that I have to say, um, David, just David Renwick just kept doing. I mean, the, he was yeah. apart from uh, apart from Larry David, David is the master of those moments. You know, he disguises things as they come in. So you don't know that they're jokes. Um, and he leaves them like uh, he leaves them like booby traps for to go off later in the later in the show. Chekhovian gun. Chekhov's gun is a, that's a common thing, isn't it? When you He's, speak about surrealism, one for the grave. I mean, it's right up there. Two point four children as well. It's something about nineties comedy. Yeah, Chekhov's guns uh, lying all over the place. In mm. um, and the brilliant thing with Richard uh, Wilson is that he had in Richard Wilson someone who responded to you know, just some outrageous things with, with exactly the right level. Like, it's almost like if you, if you get a tennis ball over to someone and they, and they, and they hit it exactly where the ball needs to be hit. Well, Richard Wilson just kept doing that. And what was extraordinary about the show was that I put, put the characters through so many um, trials that were all of different types. Like some were more finely embarrassing and some were extremely surreal and that look of Richards. Oh, and I don't believe it. The reason I don't believe it became a catchphrase. It just simply happened because of all the insane things that kept happening to them in that show, you know? So tell us the good segment into, you know, the infamous Mainland episode of Series 3. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, we were invited to um, go and see Cirque du Soleil by uh, Jimmy Mulville, the man who's now sitting on the uh, on the Father Ted musical and won't release it for some reason. Won't, won't, mm. No one will tell me why. No. Um, and he, we went to see this show and it was fine, you know, acrobatics, um, colourful uh, costumes, all that sort of thing. And uh, Richard was sitting right in front of us, right? Richard was probably at the height of his fame then. As well. And one of the things Arthur and I always did was when something wasn't engaging us 100%, as Cirque du Soleil was not engaging us, we, we sometimes try and make each other crease up, you know. And Arthur leaned over and he said, imagine if Richard just kept saying really loudly every time the, every time the, the gymnast did something, I don't believe it. <laughs> And we were sitting there trying to hold it together and uh, just hurting from thinking about it, hurting from laughing, you know. And then, you know, as you do, because we were living together, because we were living in each other's pockets, Arthur and I traveled home and, and said, I wonder if, gosh, is there anything that could be done with 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 Ted and Dougal meeting? Um, and of course, you know, the, re- the thing that had been making us laugh all night was the idea of Richard doing his line. So that got baked into the show. Um, Amazing. And, you know, like he meets like Ted and Dougal have that conversation that we that, you know, we, we were making fun of a certain type of person who always likes to yeah. show catchphrases and so on. And they're like, oh, no, he doesn't. He loves it. He, he'll love that, Ted. He'll he loves like- that when <laughs> people come up and say his catchphrase. That's a brilliant idea. No one's ever done that. <laughs> and so, you know, he gets into a, a, a very humiliating fight with Ted. Do you know what he'd love? Well, he'd love it if somebody came up to him and said his catchphrase. Oh, yeah, Ted. He'd love that. You should definitely do that. Should I? Oh, yeah. I'd say no one ever does that to him. He'd think you're hilarious. You know, this is one of these times when I'm absolutely...
absolutely 100 million percent sure that you'll be doing the right thing. I can safely say you definitely, definitely won't regret doing that. You know what? I'm going to do it. Brilliant. Will I? Yeah, go on. Hold the camera. But then at the end, he knocks on the door in a kind of a jokey climax. And, and I remember I was directing him and I said, oh, we really need the ultimate. I don't believe it. We need the, the biggest one the you've biggest ever done. The biggest payoff ever. Yeah, which is really unfair to ask him to do because he didn't think of it as a catchphrase. He didn't think of it as, as a meme. He, for him, it was just something he said when, when something happened in the show that had inexplicably caught on. <laughs> I don't believe it. There's different variations so, as well, wouldn't there? In the name yeah, of sanity, yeah. in the name of bloody hell. And also, it, because yes, exactly, that's very true. And because of, but because of like his now appearance in this, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But we were often asking actors to do things that was were a little bit hard for them to find. Mm. Like for instance, uh, the actors who did John and Mary, who oh, were they're fantastic. They're, they're, <laughs> sorry, just as an aside, the, the funny if, if you could have written a spin-off for them. <laughs> That would be amazing. Oh, well, they couldn't have done it because it was just like, like John, the actor who played John. Uh, but he said that he used to find it so difficult to go between that loving and hating Did thing he? so quickly. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in a realistic level. And all these actors have been, you know, they've, they've been growing up thinking about the method, thinking about Stanislavski. And suddenly you're asking them to come along and just ignore all of those, tra- all that training they have. Yeah, and switch this on and off like a light. So, uh, so, so, yeah. So to ask, so, so to say, Richard, give me the ultimate. I don't believe it. It's kind of meaningless. You know what I mean? Because he's delivered that a million times on the show already. I don't see. You know, how could he beat it? But luckily, he he he, he put that to one side. He, he really turned on, didn't he? Was that about ninety eight? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was there. Yeah. So coming to an end for the one because after '98, I think there's just one more series of one foot. So you were you and Arthur were fans of One Foot in the Grave in that era, or did, was it sort of late on into the? Had it had yeah, one we, already been out for a few series when you were watching it? It might have been that. It, it, it was. It, we it took us a while because it had that thing when you're a young up and coming comedy writer, yeah. you see old people in a TV show and it doesn't really set you on fire, you know. Uh, in fact, there was a show around the same time. Can't remember what it was called, but it was also about two old people, and that was like that show was as you would expect, right? Mm. It was just very kind of it had cobwebs grown over it. So we didn't we didn't know like a lot of the public didn't know until quite a way on that the show was actually very dark, very surreal, you know. And then we realized, oh shit, it's written by Richard who did Alexi's show, of course. Yeah. So you know, we watched it and uh, and just just became huge fans of it, and and I always you know used it to to see how how did he structure this, how did he make that happen, how did he bring about, you know, I, t- I tell you, I think one of the greatest things, like if you have a ventriloquist dummy in a show, right, then you know your brain already starts playing with what it can do. It can come to life. People can think it comes to life. People can think it's really talking whatever it happens to be. But what David does with it in that episode, the payoff, do you remember? Is this um, in the episode, uh, who, I think, Who Will Buy is the episode. This is where Vic, there's a talent show, Mr. Sweeney's running. I'm not sure. Is that the one where he's caught in the end of the, in the box? It could be. I don't oh, know. Um, well, it's either that one where uh, Pippa, Janine Davitsky, 
she thinks he's potentially murdered this old chap and he sees yeah. Victor no, on the telephone. Not- he's, he's on the telephone, but she doesn't know that. And he's got the puppet in his hands. It's a bit of a misunderstanding. Or is it the could be the secret of the seven sorcerers where they're all of Victor's um, friends. Are- it's, it's the one where the payoff is uh, he goes in the toilet. And the woman, I think it's Pippa, is this Pippa, the neighbor with the glasses who goes out with Angus Deaton? Yeah, I'm just trying to think yeah. of the. the brings him, sorry, I'm brings over this. the ventriloquist dummy to the toilet and, and pretends to pull its fly down and goes, There you go, there you oh, go. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, is, that is the episode I'm referring to. Right, good. Well, that, like, for me, that is so unbelievably unexpected that I just think, I just think, you know, God bless them. You know, I mean, I've done things where. I've had certain elements like that and they've they've ended up kind of the way you expect them to end up. But that yeah. is such a left turn. That is such an extreme left turn that... There's so many, isn't there? I mean, that's yeah. one of the exceptional qualities of one foot, that ability to mix comedy and darkness, comedy and tragedy, often within the same scenes, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's... And also, talk- I'll tell you a great thing. There's a, like a slightly... Uh, sorry, I cut across you. Not at all, um, no, no. I was just going to say... There's this thing that Richard, because Richard is like actually kind of, you know, more like me and Arthur in terms of our outlook on life. So, yeah. so when he's, when he's got, the, he's got these old actors in this thing, but they're not doing all the nice old things in the other sitcom. They're doing things like opening up eggs after watching Alien. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's not a million miles away what we were up to trying to get these gentle people together with, with things yeah. that that were culturally wrong for them. And yeah. uh, he did that so brilliantly, you know. Do you think it could have worked if the favour was returned where a character from the Father Ted universe crossed paths in Riverbank in uh, One Foot in the Grave? Mm, and I don't if you think could, so. If you could handpick a character, do you think it wouldn't have worked? Or could you imagine no, because that? His, because his, because that show, the comedy pours out of Richard and Anna Crosby, yes. Yeah. Uh, the comedy pours out of them and their 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 personalities that have been formed by all these absurd and terrible events. Um, and also, the, you know, a couple of their friends. The comedy is quite centered on them, right? Whereas yeah. in Ted, Ted is probably the most normal and the rest of the world is is insane. So they wouldn't really fit kind of, it wouldn't be, it would be like two different shows. I, I can understand, yeah. Because it's quite believable, Richard, as himself visiting that part of Ireland. That's what a, makes sense. Excursion. Yeah, yeah it makes, exactly. It makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, things like that, that you're always looking for um, a, a key and a lock, you know what I mean? Mm. It oh, yes. To, it has to make, make a certain kind of inner sense. And, you know. Yeah. Can't, I can't I not mean, mention Dermot. I mean, losing him. Sure. Sorry to go back to Father Ted. I'm not sorry, but you know we, we were talking one foot. But how is that still surreal that he just went? Was, that was just no warning. He wasn't a sick man. It was just because I remember BBC Breakfast waking up on a school morning and Father, Father Ted. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't mean to say that phrase just then. I literally couldn't believe what I was. <laughs> sorry, but you know how the dead's died don't believe it yeah no it was very it was of course crazy and surreal and we had all the like there were billboards up with Dermot's face on it we were driving to them driving past them on the way to work to edit a show in which the main actor had died so we were watching him still alive on our little thing looking completely normal and everything everything being as it should be 
um, within the camera lens and outside of the camera lens, everything had just turned upside down. So, so yeah, it was hard. It was hard. It's another reason why I wanted to do the TED musical actually, because uh, I felt that it always ended on that kind of, you know, the sound of one shoe dropping. It was, it was an incomplete ending. He never yes. really told the whole story. So that's another reason why we wanted to do Ted musical because we have an ending. It's actually called Ted, the final episode, you know? Yes. It's, so, a, it's, a, it's a disgrace that not continuing it. I support you. I, I think it should go ahead. It's comedy. It's, uh, it's entertainment. Put everything else aside, you know? It's not, it's not just that. It's, it's like, it's like preemptively censoring me for doing exactly the thing, same thing that JK Rowling is doing. Yeah. And JK Rowling is, 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 has a, um, show running under the same producer it's crazy it's absolutely crazy but what I, can you do you just well keep, keep fighting it i i hope it's put on there's one foot in the grave stage play that is ready oh, really? to go um oh, wow but david's not so keen now <laughs> i keep oh, pestering him i yeah. pester him every so often and you know what like I, I i don't know it could be great but but i think certain things work work yeah. on in us in a new style and certain things don't and the reason why we did for ted was i realized that it would work as a american style musical mm. along the line of the producers you know i thought yeah actually this kind of makes sense so uh you know sometimes sometimes the form fits the content and sometimes it doesn't there's nothing you can really do if it doesn't if it doesn't you know it doesn't did sing you, for you did you catch the fools and horses musical that's been a, no, a big not yet. No, yeah, okay. it's, no, it's very good. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. I, did, I didn't have high hopes for it because I thought Only Fools and Horses mm-hmm. musical doesn't seem to fit in mm-hmm. the same. Just saying that as a sentence, it doesn't seem right, but it, it seemed to work. And Father Ted would obviously work, and you and Arthur are proven quality writers. So it's, it's madness, but I hope it happens one day. I hope common sense prevails with you know just putting it on the stage. It's, it's just, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, well. It's, you know, it's, it's in very strange times. You know, I mean, they won't even tell me what I've done. They won't. They won't actually say it out loud because they they don't yeah. know themselves. Mm. <laughs> you know. Well, we know we know what the, what the situation is there. I think. Sorry, I'm straying a bit. Comedy in recent times, people tend to say it's nothing really worth watching now. But is there anything in the last ten years you say is actually not not too bad? Is something you would uh, say is? Oh okay? man, you'd have to name a few things, and I can't. Not sure I could. Yeah, I, I'm not either. I mean, I mean. I will say that my I, one thing I've always tried to do is try to do what everybody else isn't doing, you know, and mm. uh, when everybody else was doing uh, single camera sitcoms, we were doing studio sitcoms. And, you know, I, I always felt it was good to try and do the only thing that people aren't doing. Um, and but I feel these days that, that surrealism is, is, is almost too much of an escape at the moment. I just feel like satire is needed, real strong satire. We're not getting that when you say studio sitcom, is that like multicam? Is yes, that what you, multicam, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, audio sitcom. I, I spoke to director Chris Gurnan the other day. Um, mm-hmm. she directed series six and she's done Gavin and Stacey and a few things. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she was going on a lot about multicam, how she's just you know, there's not enough of it these days. Um, yeah, so yeah, you're saying that as well. So it's obviously missed and it needs to be brought back i think i miss i miss studio sitcom i think not going out might be one of the last decent for me my personal opinion mm. funny sitcoms but yeah i don't know if you agree with that or not but lee i think lee mack is is really really funny but uh, yeah i i i but i agree that it's probably one of the last few that he, he, I, I didn't follow it that closely but no. um 
But yeah, they're all scared of it. They don't know how to make it work. It's really, it's crazy, especially yeah. since the good ones, the big ones, have been some of the most successful TV shows of all time. Yeah. Friends and Seinfeld, you know? Yeah. You can't get bigger than them. Yeah. And yet people are like, no, nah, we're not doing them anymore. It's like, what? Really? Why? You know? Because a few people complain about, you know, about the sound of laughter. You know, those people, they go away after a while. You know, you have yeah. to just push, push through that stuff first and then... Did you then, ever yeah. catch Time Gentlemen, Please, uh, Richard Herring? I did, yes. Yes. What, what was your thoughts on that? I really liked it. Yeah, I... Well, you know, I mean, Richard blocked me on Twitter, so oh, I don't okay, really no. have much time for him no. now. But I will, I will say, I think one of the problems with that show was that it was written, it was written to a crazy, like they made him write something like some crazy number, hundreds of episodes, dozens of episodes. Yeah. And one thing we found out is that you know, a se- in a series of six, you're going to have one dud. You know, so it's hard to write multiple episodes of something and keep hitting the target yeah. you know so especially if you're not on the team you know so oh. I, I i i just thought it was an interesting experiment in american style sitcom writing and show, that showed how we have to be careful mm. you can't just increase the number of episodes and not increase the number of writers you know yeah i think all we've got time for today uh, Graham, thanks so much for coming on to one for the podcast and helping this little podcast grow i mean i've had i've been so lucky with having guests on David Renwick himself to have two comedy writing legends. Absolute privilege. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I don't believe it.